All right, you guys, welcome to the show. There's a bunch of stuff to talk about today, so I'm going to lead in just a second with uh, Jank Uger turning on Fetterman and absolutely brutalizing him. We'll talk about that. We have Trump is broadcasting to the world now in no uncertain terms that he's going to try to steal the election again. We can't say we didn't see it coming because he's saying it's coming. Uh, then we'll also get to DeSantis goes after Trump on the issue of immigration and portrays him as soft. And um, Obama very clearly thinks that Biden is going to lose in 2024. There's a really interesting article diving into almost how Obama is trying to, like, help out behind the scenes and pull the strings and, like, direct the Biden campaign because he thinks that they're staffed with a bunch of idiots, potentially including Biden himself. Uh, and then there's a really devastating poll about political violence potentially coming to America that I wanted to share with you. There's some interesting findings there. So we'll jump into it here in a second. Everybody do me a big favor. Please subscribe to the channel. It helps out massively. It doesn't cost you anything. It's a you know, huge help in the algorithm. And let's dive into it. So look at this in Mediaite. What the fuck? Progressive Cenk Uger absolutely trashes fraud Fetterman over Harvard, Israel, and quote, turning into a Republican. So I believe uh, Jank went on a little bit of a tweet storm here. Let's go through what he said. Uh, now John Fetterman is telling everyone how he's not a progressive. He rejects us and is now calling Harvard pinko. What the fuck? This is why people lose hope, because frauds like Fetterman. You work hard to get a progressive elected, and they turn into Republicans instantly. Someone should do a poll of John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. I bet his numbers went down significantly after he became the biggest cheerleader for the establishment, biggest supporter of killing innocent Palestinians in Gaza, and a huge backer of Biden. That's not at all who they voted for. Uh, then they say, Back in December, Uger said the populist image cultivated by Fetterman was also destroyed, calling him a mouthpiece for the, the establishment. So this is all the way back on December 27th. Fetterman has gone from the last great populist hope on the Democratic side to worse than useless. He's now enthusiastically taken on the role of mouthpiece for the establishment, who attacks anyone challenging Biden or the powerful. Counterproductive loser. Hashtag fraud. Hashtag put on a suit. So um, what's been going on with Fetterman recently? Well, we all know uh, after October 7th, Israel responded to the Hamas terror attack by leveling Gaza and killing massive numbers of innocent civilians and wiping out civilian infrastructure. And in the midst of that, Fetterman pretty much came mask off as hardcore Zionist and right wing on the issue of Israel and showed zero concern whatsoever for dead Palestinian civilians, uh, broadcast to the world just how much he loves Israel and how much he's on the side of Israel. Uh, so that was a kind of a crucial moment in Fetterman finalizing his heel turn. But we also have, he came out and talked about how on the issue of immigration, the left needs to grow up effectively. And they need to realize that not everybody who wants to protect the border is a bigot and this and that. And what was particularly interesting about that heel turn is that there's countless videos of him when he was running for office, making a progressive case on the issue of immigration, where he would basically say like, hey, man, this is a country of immigrants. You know, I have immigrants in in my family and um, these people are trying to come here to work hard and make a better life and pay their taxes and be upstanding citizens. And we should accept people. And uh, this because this is what makes this country great. And he, total 180. He literally would call himself a progressive on immigration in various events. And then 
now that he's in Washington, all of a sudden, he no longer, he says he's not a progressive. He literally said, I'm not a progressive. So you have the issue of immigration where he did a total 180. To be fair, on the issue of Israel, I think he was always bad. There was a very corrupt deal that was documented by Ryan Grimm of The Intercept where Fetterman's position on Israel, they wrote it up and literally sent it off to APAC for approval. And then APAC made some edits and sent it back to Fetterman, and then they said, okay, if this is what you want, this is what we'll go with. This is our position on Israel. So uh, horribly, horribly corrupt on that issue. Horribly corrupt. Um... And I think it's just the straw that broke the camel's back. The other thing that Fetterman did recently is he started going after James Carville for not being a sufficient Biden loyalist. Why? Because Carville makes the very plain observation that, I don't know, man, I'm not sure uh, Joe Biden's the best candidate. I'm not sure he can beat Trump. He's kind of struggling and the polls are horrific. And Fetterman thought that was an uh, egregious overstep and basically told him to shut the hell up. Which, by the way, very good uh, intellectual argument. There. I can't believe he's making me defend James Carville. Do you realize how pathetic that is? That Fetterman has gotten so bad that I have to come out here and say, I actually agree more with James Carville than I do John Fetterman. So here we are. And I think Jenk is really um, highlighting the, the, the breaking point or the moment that you snap when you realize what's become of Fetterman and how this is a very, very constant career trajectory of a lot of people who go into Congress as lefties. And by the way, how does Fetterman get repaid for this? There's all these articles in mainstream media sucking him off and calling him a maverick and saying he has an independent streak. So notice something. Whenever somebody gets to D.C. and then they shift further and further right, what happens? The media is like, oh, yes, maverick, glorious, independent thinker. But if it was the reverse, if you have somebody who goes to D.C. and then they shift further and further left, all of a sudden, uh, you know, the knives come out. And they would not call you a maverick. They would not call you an independent thinker. They would not write glowing articles about how people disagree with him and he doesn't care. Uh, I mean, for example, Dean Phillips recently came out in favor of Medicare for All. Um, and soon thereafter, there were all these hit pieces because he's challenging Biden and now he supports Medicare for All. And so, oh, he's not even a good uh, Democratic player. This is a guy who has always been a centrist Democrat, always been a right-leaning Democrat. And then now he's running and on some issues, he's gone a little bit to the left. And they smear him. Fetterman's the opposite. He got in as a progressive. He's shifting to the right. Now, all of a sudden, he's the darling of mainstream media and the darling of the Biden administration. So, I mean, look, Cenk is right. If you if you run as one thing and you get there and you change it, that's unacceptable because you are representing your constituents. You said, here's who I am. Here's what I believe in. Here are the policies I'm for. And then if you do a total 180, it's like you're a different person. It's like you are not the person that they voted for. And so I find it incredibly selfish, incredibly, incredibly navel-gazing and self-aggrandizing to suck yourself off and act like you're special because you do the right-wing turn, which is the most common turn that's always done in Washington, D.C., because that's where the money is. And uh, I think Jenk had enough, and he, and he snapped looking at Fetterman, and I get it, because, yeah, you had a lot of young people, you had a lot of lefties who helped get this guy elected, and then he immediately turns his back on the same people who got him in there. Right. And I, th I think there's also a lot of like negative polarization stuff going on here, too, where the left sort of viciously went after him when he had a bad take on Israel. And that pushed him into the arms of the right, who was willing to stroke his ego and tell him that he's special as the left was dunking on him. Because, of course, if the left dunks on you, then the right like automatically loves you. And so now you got all these conservatives and all these centrists and all these goons who love John Fetterman. And he's just like, oh, who's being nice to me? I'm going to go in this direction. Right. So. Look, I don't really care how he ended up where he is. 
It might also have something to do with the stroke and the depression and the brain damage and the mental illness. But the fact of the matter is, it's unacceptable. You ran as one thing, now you're something else completely. And this is a thing that that takes hope away from regular people. Because if, if you run as, you know, I'm the next iteration of Bernie Sanders, which is what he did. He endorsed Bernie. He acted like he's the heir apparent to Bernie. He He's that kind of a Democrat. And then you go in there and you flip. Yeah, a lot of people are going to be disgusted by it. And a lot of people are going to be turned off to politics. And the next time somebody comes along who's sincere in their left beliefs, people are going to go, why should I believe you? Because the last guy who did this turned out to be a complete and utter con man and a fraud. Now, I'm sure he doesn't see himself as a con man or a fraud, but I mean, you ran as one thing and now you're another thing. So you kind of are that. So, I, I mean, look, I think, um, I think Jenk is right that this guy's, this guy's the problem. It's almost like you'd rather have a centrist Democrat who is open, honest, upfront, and has always been a centrist Democrat versus somebody who pretended like they were with you and then stabs you in the back and goes to the center. You'd rather have that because then it's like, hey, at least you're coming as advertised. But with, with Fetterman, it's, you know, oh, I'm your best friend. Oh, I'm with you on all the issues. And then I'm not. And it's like, if you're willing to do a total 180 on the issue of immigration, which he 100% did, what other issues are you willing to do a 180 on? How do we know you're not going to back off of Medicare for all support? You know, how do we know you're not going to back off of supporting uh, an increase in the minimum wage? How do we know? Look, only time will tell, right? And when we have certain fights come up over certain issues, we'll be able to know. We'll know. Did he also back off of his union support and all this other stuff? We will know when the time comes. But all the evidence now is that you definitely can't take a fucking word out of this guy's mouth seriously. You can't take a word out of his mouth seriously. And um, yeah, people are sick of it, man. People are sick of it. And they're right. They're right to be sick of it. This is a tale as old as time. And then the final question is, is it a genuine ideological shift? Or is he just following the money? Or is it both? That I don't know the answer to. But uh, there's evidence that cuts in every which direction. I'm curious what you guys think. So Donald Trump has already done a couple of posts over on Truth Social where he attacks Biden and says, oh, they're going to do it again, man. They're planning on stealing the election. They're going to have all these illegal immigrants vote. And this is unacceptable. And we see it coming. And we got to stop it, folks. We got to put an end to it. Unacceptable. So in other words, he's trying to poison the well up front that if he loses the election, I didn't actually lose the election. I told you this was happening beforehand. I told you, told you illegals were voting beforehand. I told you they were working on it beforehand. So now, uh, to be fair, the Democratic Party in Florida literally canceled the Democratic primary. They said votes don't matter. Tennessee, same thing. North Carolina, same thing. Massachusetts, same thing. Uh, the DNC said to New Hampshire, your election literally doesn't count. Why? Because you're supposed to go first, but you were in a pro-Biden state, so we kicked you to second. But in your state constitution, it says you're supposed to go first. So you're going first, but we're just not going to acknowledge your election. So in many ways, let's be clear, Democrats and Biden are being incredibly authoritarian. The difference is, of course... Of course, Biden won in 2020. He wasn't even close. He won by 7 million votes. And, um, you know, they don't have the institutional ability or, or infrastructure support uh, to or knowledge or wherewithal to pull off stealing an entire general election. That's insane. They, they didn't do it and they can't do it. So he's just poisoning the well and acting like, no, no, they're going to steal it from us. Well, now uh, Trump came out very clearly and gave us his strongest indication yet that he is 100% going to do it again. And when I say it, I mean try to steal the election. So look at this, Chicago Sun-Times. Donald Trump didn't sign loyalty oath for Illinois ballot that pledges not to advocate the overthrow of the government. In 2016 and 2020, 
before the January 6th insurrection, Trump did sign. President Joe Biden, who signed it, questioned why Trump can't bring himself to sign a piece of paper saying he won't attempt a coup to overthrow our government. President Joe Biden's campaign condemned former President Donald Trump Saturday for sidestepping decades-old Illinois ballot access tradition in which candidates pledge to not advocate the overthrow of the government. Biden's statement came in response to a WBEZ Chicago Sun-Times report published earlier Saturday that Trump didn't sign the voluntary oath as part of his package of ballot access paperwork submitted Thursday to the Illinois State Board of Elections. That omission, days before the third anniversary of the January 6th insurrection in which Trump has been charged, marked a departure from 2016 and 2020 when Trump signed the oath. Quote, for the entirety of our nation's history, presidents have put their hand on the Bible and sworn to protect and uphold the Constitution of the United States. And Donald Trump can't bring himself to sign a piece of paper saying he won't attempt a coup to overthrow our government, Biden campaign spokesman Michael Tyler said. We know he's deadly serious because three years ago today he tried and failed to do exactly that. So this is something that is like, this is like standard operating procedure, right? Everybody signs this every single time. Biden and Republican Florida Governor Ron DeSantis both signed the oath, as did several low-tier Trump acolytes in Illinois. Why wouldn't he sign it? As former U.S. Representative Adam Kinziger, who served on the House January 6th Select Committee and said he signed the signed the state loyalty oath for each of his six terms in Congress. So, I mean, this it this is this is wild, right? Because again, people tend to like sort of ignore the obvious sometimes. And Trump has already given multiple signs. I'm gonna do it again. I'll do a fake elector scheme. I'll do a fraudulent elector scheme. You know, I'll go further next time and um and uh, use whatever tools at my disposal. I'm not going to listen to any of the many dissenting voices that are in my administration anymore. I'm going to pack it with loyalists. I'll do what I want. I'll go as far as possible to maintain my grip on power and to say I won. And the fact that he doesn't sign this is a clearest indication yet that he's going to do it again. And so, look, I've been telling you guys for a while now, I don't see a good way out of this predicament that we're in. Uh, There is no good way out. So if you run through the possible scenarios, what can happen? Trump can win the primary and win the general, and then we get four years of Trump. Disaster. Trump can win the primary and lose the general, but then he's just going to say he won the general even if he didn't. Trump could lose the primary, and he would just say he won the primary and he didn't lose it. Right? In a scenario where Trump wins, we had the Women's March last time, which was a peaceful protest, but it was the biggest protest in U.S. history— Maybe we'd have something that's not so peaceful next time if Trump wins. If Trump loses, same thing. How do we know his uh, people are not going to riot or not going to cause violence in the streets? I mean, I don't see an easy way out. Honestly, the best case scenario, in my opinion, is to rip off the Band-Aid quickly. Now, the Supreme Court say, look, you violated Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, the Insurrection Clause, you can't run. Sorry, you can't hold office. And yeah, would that lead to maybe bodies in the streets, maybe some rioting, maybe some anger among Trump people. Yeah, potentially. Absolutely. Like I said, there is no way out. But at least in that scenario, I think it's the quickest, fastest, easiest, most accurate way based on the Constitution and the law to actually rid ourselves of this guy. But, uh, you know, in that scenario, he wouldn't stop then either. Right. He would go. He would. uh, (laughs) By the way, you want to get uh, Supreme Court reform. That's the easiest and quickest way to do it. Have the Supreme Court make the right decision vis-a-vis Trump and he'll be out there saying, we got to pack the court. We got to abolish the court. No more judicial review. They, they would absolutely turn on a dime and start advocating stuff like that. And by the way, I'd be here for it, right? It'd be awesome if they were to do that. Um, but 
the fact that he didn't sign, he's telling you again to your face. He's up front. I'm going to try to steal the election. The oldest trick in the book is projection. You accuse your opponent of what you're doing. All of his talk about Biden, Biden stole the election, Biden stole the election, Biden's going to steal the election, he's going to steal the election. No. Trump tried to steal it last time, fake elector scheme, fraudulent elector scheme. He's saying, effectively, I'm going to not accept it if I lose this time. Don't say you weren't warned, man. All of us, there's something about Trump, I don't know what it is about Trump, but there's something about him that makes his cult members love him, and then other people who might be like neutral towards him or even slightly hostile, or who they don't see him for what he actually is. It's always this like hand wave, ah, he's sort of harmless. You know, it's it's one of those things. Ah, he's crazy. Ah, he's a joke. Ah, he's... But like, this is not a joke. This is not a joke. He's already tried authoritarian things and he's letting you know again, I will do it. So I, I suggest we all wake up because we have turbulent, rough times ahead and that's being made very, very clear for us. The Iowa caucus is imminent. The voting and the caucusing is going to start now. It's happening. It's happening, y'all. We're in it. And um, so in this final stretch, before people actually start making their decision, everybody's decided, let's let's go a little more aggressive. Let's go for the jugular. So uh, here we have Trump giving a speech, and um, he takes on Nikki Haley and does his little uh, stand-up routine. Let's watch, and then we'll break it down. On to sanctimonious, and Nikki Haley and all the rest of the pack will never do what it takes to secure the border. They'll never do what it takes to make our country great again. They're never going to do it. I know them. I know them all very well. They don't have what it takes. Nikki Haley has been in the pocket of the open borders establishment donors her entire career, and uh, she's a globalist, you know. She likes the globe. I like <laughs> America first. She's a globalist, you know. She likes the globe. Loves globes. Collects them. I saw globes in her house. Her kid spins them. Watches them go in circles. Got colorful globes. Black and white globes. All kinds of globes. She loves globes. This one, I know like globes. I like America first. <laughs> People in this room like America first. And Nikki Haley's campaign is being funded by Biden donors. Did you know that? Biden donors. Because they're trying to get her, like in particular, here we're doing so well. I think they've sort Okay, let me just pause to point out. Nikki Haley's campaign is being backed by all the big money Republican donors. She has the one remaining Koch brother who's alive backing her. She has other billionaire Republicans backing her. So the fact that he says Biden donors, I don't know. Is he? I think he might be coping with the fact that the right-wing billionaire donors abandoned him here. Sheldon Adelson was his biggest backer. Sheldon Adelson is dead now. Um... So I don't know who, maybe he has somebody specifically he's referring to, but I haven't seen that the big money Biden, uh, the big money like Democratic donors are backing Nikki. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. It seems almost like he's coping with the fact that the big money Republican donors, some of them at least, have left him. In New Hampshire, they have a lot of Biden donors and contributors uh, putting money into her campaign. That tells you that should be enough to stop her right there. Well, she stopped. Hey, listen, they had a poll. Last week, it was a classic, just to show you how fake the media is. So the headline was, Haley surges. I said, uh-oh, this is a bad, I better read this little thing. So I went up seven points to 74, okay? I went up seven. She went up two points, and Ron DeSanctimonious went down one. 
So instead of being down two points, she was even with Ronda Sanctimonious now. So the headline, and she was at 10. And he was at 10, either 10 or 11. I was at 72 or 74. And the headline was Haley Surges. <laughs> That's because it's fake. So here's how you know he's lying. He can't help himself. He's telling a story about polls, which you can go and check. And it's like verifiable what the actual numbers were. And he's lying about it. So at first, there was a poll where she was way, way, way down. And then she surged double digits um, to get within 11 points of him, which is the closest anybody's been in a really, really long time. Now, when we covered that one, we discussed, yes, yeah, she rose double digits, but she's still like 11 behind. Is that really a surge? This was in New Hampshire in particular. Um, and we discussed it a little bit. But then a couple days later, a new poll came out. And it was another Nikki Haley surges. Well, this one, now she's within four points of Trump in New Hampshire. So the headlines of her surging, in one poll, she surged double digits. She got a, an uptick double digits. And in the other one, she surged to within four points of him. And he can't help but lie. Like, he's saying, oh, the headline was that she surged, but then he's giving, like, what, national numbers? Which are not what any of those articles were in relation to. None of them were in relation to the national numbers. It was all in relation to New Hampshire. So he can't help himself. He comes out there, he lies, he lies, he lies. Now, by the way, of all the things to attack Nikki Haley on, you know, the idea that it's like, bro, Nikki Haley's for open borders, bro. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I don't know a single Republican in D.C. or Democrat, for that matter, who's in favor of open borders. It's just not a thing. It's just not a thing. Like, maybe she's in favor of a path to citizenship for slightly more immigrants than Donald Trump is, but the idea that she's, like, oh, she's weak on the border, she, she loves the globe, she loves the globe. It, it, this is just so, it's all so dumb. It's all so dumb. Now, ultimately, look, is it going to matter how much Haley is uh, surging? If it does, it would only really matter in New Hampshire, I think. Right. A lot would have to change for somebody to be competitive beyond, you know, New Hampshire or Iowa. But I even think Trump is up massively in Iowa. New Hampshire is the only one that's like close, close. It'll be interesting to see. But um, I mean, he just lied about the polls. He just lied about the polls to try to make the point that this thing is over. But that's what Trump does. Right. Like he lies so much. He lies relentlessly. But then it's almost like through the sheer force and sheer will of his lies. Eventually, he like wills that into reality. Right? Like, if he's mocking the idea that anybody would support Nikki Haley, it's like fewer and fewer people end up supporting Nikki Haley. Because he's just a force of nature, certainly on the right and among Republican voters. But I don't know. We'll see. But this is the equivalent of Donald Trump taking the gloves off. Not that he's ever had the gloves on for any of these people. Um, but expect it to get uglier and uglier as time goes by, if anybody nips at his heels even a little bit. All right, guys, speaking of uh, gloves off uh, political fighting, there's a new DeSantis ad that was released where he's taking aim at Trump, who's, of course, uh, winning by a lot in the Republican primary. And this is interesting because look at the angle that DeSantis uses going after Trump. This is something. Watch. Break the cycle of amnesty. Those days are over. And yet today, in a remarkable twist, the president held a televised meeting with the very swamp creatures he once denounced. 
He told them he trusted them to craft immigration policy without his input. The White House proposal would legalize about two million people who currently have no right to be here. That's a lot of people. A path to citizenship for 1.8 million illegal immigrants. Almost three times more people than the previous administration covered. Then he suggested he'd be willing to accept any deal they produced, even a bad one. I will be signing it. I'm not going to say, oh, gee, I want this or I want that. I'll be signing it. And here's the part that made Jeb Bush all warm and fuzzy. It should be a bill of love. Truly, it should be a bill of love. Very few of the president's supporters voted for that when they put him in office last year, and some of them are upset about it. My kids were born and raised in America. We have dreams, too. Right-wing media like Breitbart calling the president amnesty Don. You've given them more than they could ever have expected from Barack Obama. Donald Trump ran on the premise that America's borders ought to be real, that the repeated amnesties of the past have betrayed voters, and that this country deserves an immigration policy that looks out for American interests. If you are in the so-called establishment Republican Party, this has been a great stretch yep. for you. So what was the point of running for president? Ron DeSantis, man. Ron DeSantis. Look, I find it... I find it adorable in a way because Ron DeSantis is still operating under the illusion that policy matters to these Republican voters. They are He's still operating under... I would call it an illusion. It's more of a delusion that if I just show people, if I just prove that I'm to the right of Donald Trump... They'll vote for me. And that's why, for example, he signed a six-week abortion ban in Florida. And guess what? Not only did he not go up in the polls, homie went down in the polls. So he's tried to outflank Trump on his right to say, I'm the most pure, I'm the most ideologically driven of anybody in this race. But you misunderstood the phenomenon of Trump to begin with. Because in 2016, he wasn't the furthest right. In fact, on some issues, he was the furthest left. You know, he was the only Republican who was saying, I'm not going to cut your Social Security, I'm not going to cut your Medicare. In other ways, he was furthest to the right, and in some ways, he was right smack dab in the middle of mainstream establishment Republican position. It's not about any of that. Ron, it's about the show. It's about the charisma. It's about triggering the libs. It's about the same people that hate Trump are the same people that I hate, so, you know, I'm going to align with him as a result of that. That explains... Trumpism at this late date. There was a time when it was a mix of like bigotry and xenophobia and populist policies that explained the, some of the support in 2016. Now it's just cult following. He's putting on a show. I love the show. I want to see the next season. That's where they're at now. So she's, he's trying to hit Trump on, actually, you're soft on immigration. You're amnesty Don. You're open borders Donald. That's what you are. Do you think anybody in their right mind is going to believe yeah, the problem with Trump is that he was too soft on immigration. Here's the guy who initially had a freaking family separation policy. You know, after massive backlash, he changed that. Good. I'm glad he changed that. But this is the guy who did remain in Mexico. You know, this is the guy who tried to flout due process to kick more people out. This is who Donald Trump is. This is a guy who tried to go around Congress to have some of his wall built. The idea, like, you really think you're going to be able to take on Trump by building this mythology that he's like an open borders lefty or something? Like, what are you talking? Not only are there no 
Republicans in D.C. that are for open borders. There's not even any Democrats in D.C. that are actually for open borders. And your attack on Trump is he's weak on immigration. The guy who launched this campaign last time and said, uh, you know, the Mexicans are coming here, the illegals, they're criminals, they're rapists. I assume some are good people. The guy who fear-mongered about MS-13 getting into the gun, this is the guy who you're going to say, you're too weak on the border. You should say 100% of the people who come in here are MS-13. Now, by the way, they were talking about a potential deal, which of course fell through. We didn't get anything, but they were talking about an immigration deal where they said uh, it would have a path to citizenship for 1.8 million immigrants. Now, you look, oh my God, outrageous, terrible. There's over 10 million undocumented immigrants in this country, over 10 million. So you're talking about having a path to citizenship for less than 20% of them. And that's a problem for you? That's a problem. I want to kick out everybody. I want to do concentration camps and deportation camps. And remember back in the day, I'm not kidding about this. Back in the day, there was a U.S. policy called Operation Wetback. Let's bring that back. Let's do that. The idea that you're going to get convince people, number one, Trump is soft on immigration. And number two, I, Ron DeSantis, am to the right of him, and you're going to vote for me for policy reasons. Dude, the reason why they're not voting for you is because of your colossal, colossal lack of charisma. That's why they're not voting for you. Your inability to give the people the show that they want. Look, on, in a sense, I'm sympathetic to the DeSantis voters because the, it's almost like they're like the Elizabeth Warren voters of the Democratic side from the last election, where the Elizabeth Warren... I, she has a plan. She has a policy. Look at her policy. Like, that's what the Elizabeth Warren people were. DeSantis supporters are kind of like that. It's the right-wing version of that. It's like the right-wing intelligentsia online that are all obsessed with, like, like the particulars of how to be bigoted and xenophobic and horrible and wrong on everything. Uh, but th this ain't the path. But look, again, I'll say this in conclusion, that it ultimately it didn't matter. It didn't, like, matter how he ran. Because it looks like he was between a rock and a hard place and uh, he was going to collapse at some point. I actually think his analysis was kind of right when he came out and said, I wish Trump never got indicted because as soon as he got indicted, that's when he started skyrocketing the polls again. That's right. It's all about Trump triggers the libs the best. The biggest enemy um, of the libs is Trump. And because of that, these people back Trump, right? So he's he. I think he correctly points out that like there's this messiah complex around Trump. And like, how do you pierce that? It's not by running an article pretending like Trump is weak on immigration, right? He's still very far right on immigration. It just makes me think, well, what the hell would you do if Trump was if Trump was too soft for you? Like, what exactly would you do? Would you have like illegal internment camps, illegal immigrant internment camps or something like Jesus Christ? Anyway, uh, gloves are off, man. Gloves are off. I'd love to see more videos like this, too, where DeSantis pretends like Trump is like he's not right wrong enough on this issue and that issue. I'd love to see it. Give me the social security one, you know, posture to the right of him on that. I want to cut your grandma's pay. I will cut it. Let me know how that works for you. There's this new article that came out in Axios that I wanted to share with you guys. Uh, we talked about something similar in the recent past, but reading between the lines here, my takeaway in, about this article is I think Obama is low-key convinced that Biden is probably going to lose the 2024 election. So I'm going to walk you through it. But the title here in Axios is Behind the Curtain, Why Obama and Dems Fear Biden Complacency. 
Lots of high-level Democrats are warning that President Biden and his re-election team are too complacent and unimaginative, interesting, about the threat of losing to Donald Trump, sources tell us. So what does this remind you of? Right off the bat, boom, Hillary Clinton. That's what my mind goes to. Very confident. Remember the story how they were popping champagne before the election results came in? They were that convinced that they won, that they were popping champagne on the plane, only to learn that she lost? Remember that? Well, the sense that the Obama team is getting behind the scenes with Biden and his team are, oh my God, you guys have no idea where you're at right now. You guys have no idea how behind you are right now. And it's true. They're behind. They are massively behind. They went from like 60% with Arab Americans and Muslim Americans down to 17%. They're now losing Latinos by four points. They're now losing young people by about four points. These are hardcore democratic stronghold demographics. And they're losing them. Obama can read a poll. His team can read a poll. And they're like, are you guys out of your minds? All right, let's get some of the specifics here. The latest alarm was sounded Saturday in a leak to the Washington Post about a private meeting in which former President Obama pointed Biden to a different way to attack this campaign. We're told it was a lunch just before the holidays. Obama pushed Biden to consider moving his political operation outside of and beyond his White House advisors, as the former president had done with his Chicago-based 2012 re-election team. That's really interesting. That's interesting. So in other words, he's like... Obama has zero faith and zero trust in anyone and everyone around Joe Biden. And they're like, he's like, you guys can't, couldn't govern your way out of a paper bag, and you damn sure couldn't campaign your way out of a paper bag. Interesting. Quote, Obama also recommended that Biden seek counsel from Obama's own former campaign aides, which Biden officials say they have done. Okay. So now, that's interesting for this reason. The Obama team couldn't govern they were Bill Clinton 2.0, very neoliberal centrist corporate types. That's true. But people don't remember. Biden actually, uh, or excuse me, Trump actually, why am I incapable of saying Obama? Obama actually ran a phenomenal campaign in 2012. He went full populist against Mitt Romney. He hit him so hard over being an out-of-touch elitist who wants to cut taxes for the rich and outsource jobs. And it worked. And so they know something about campaigning. And they're looking at the Biden campaign like, oh my God, you guys are a total mess. Quote, someone wants to light a fire under the asses of some of these people, a top Democratic strategist told us. Jim Messina, manager of Obama's 2016 re-election campaign. Oh, manager, I think that meant to say Obama's 2012 re-election campaign. Often warns Democrats not to be worrywart bedwetters. The strategist added, it's hard to call it bedwetting when it's Barack Obama. In other words, there's a lot of voices that are saying, oh my God, Biden's down. This is kind of a problem. And, you know, Democratic aligned media, Democratic party types just brush it aside and act like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but when it's Obama who comes out and is like, no, they're actually right. Then you can't really swat it aside because he's the patron saint of corporate Democrats. But many high level Democrats think it's not fine. They fear the president's political machine hasn't found the sweet spot between a chill Zen and dangerous complacency and has been way too Zen. David Axelrod, Obama's, Obama's political architect, told us the race is winnable but worrisome. The internal optimism, he said, reflects faith among a team that has been counted out before. That past is, is prologue and it will all come together in the end. There has been broad anxiety about the Democratic political class given the magnitude of the threat. 
No Democrat wants panic, but these top insiders tell us the campaign needs to project way more urgency about the reality that Trump absolutely could win. One top Biden ally told us, when you're advertising on TV and you're going backwards, that's serious. Wow. That's a devastating fact. Biden ended 2023 with 39% job approval in Gallup polling. Approval among Dems was 78%, ticking down from 83 in November. The Biden 24 mindset was captured by a New York Magazine cover story last month about the campaign's alarming calm. The cover headline over a photo from inside the Wilmington campaign office. The calmest Democrats in the country. Too calm, many Democrats say, especially given the peril to the Biden coalition posed by growing rage on the left over his staunch support for Israel in the war against Hamas. If Biden loses to Arab Americans and young voters, he loses. As I just pointed out to you, he's now losing young voters to Trump and he's his support among Arab and Muslim Americans went from about 60% to about 17%. What's really interesting is they are accurately pointing out the most important issue which has led to his collapse. Now, by the way, here's another interesting fact for you. What was the last thing Barack Obama did vis-a-vis Israel on his way out the door? Barack Obama allowed a UN condemnation to pass to condemn Israel for their illegal settlement, settlement building. That was Barack Obama's little middle finger on the way out the door to Israel. In other words, it's, I know, I know what they're doing. I know about the illegal occupation. I know about the illegal settlements. I know about the uh, fact that there's no Palestinian human rights whatsoever, and Israel is responsible for that. I know. Now, Obama wasn't good on the issue of Israel. Of course not. Sold them tremendous amount of, uh, you know, weapons, gave them billions in subsidies. Everybody knows that. But it was a wink and a nod on the way out the door that he knows what they are. He knows. And so what's interesting is, is Obama advising Biden Hey, dog, you got to, you know, you got to wrap it up here. You got to reel in Netanyahu. This is unacceptable. This is the main reason why your polling has totally and utterly imploded and collapsed. Because you are green lighting a massive slaughter of innocent civilians in Gaza. People are seeing children get carpet bombed on a daily basis with U.S. bombs. That's the problem. I would, I would die to be a fly on the wall to know what Obama is telling Biden on this issue. I would give anything. Because my suspicion is that Obama knows what's leading to the polling collapse and knows that this has to change. And so this is sort of an indication, the fact that they're bringing up the, um, that this is the issue that is leading to the collapse. That's interesting. That's interesting. When pressed on why they think things are fine, Biden allies invoke four articles of faith. Number one, the war, they think, will be far in voters' rearview mirror by November 5th. Oh, that is so naive. Oh, that is so incredibly naive. This isn't just another thing, right? This isn't just... This isn't something that you can poo-poo or swat aside. There's 12,000 dead children and 27,000 dead innocent civilians, and North Gaza has been wiped off the map with our money and our weapons. Young people are disgusted by what they see. The idea, ah, they'll get over it. That's insane. By then, the economy will be so good that voters can't ignore it. Voter confidence, the hope is, will catch up with the encouraging macro signs. Again, that's so incredibly naive because it's like, okay, unemployment is low. Okay, the market is doing well. But those are not the best indicators of how people are doing. How many people are living paycheck to paycheck? 
how many people are homeless. There was just a record increase in homelessness that happened. They only look at like the worst possible indicators and they ignore the ones that make them look bad. And they're convinced like, oh, the economy will be phenomenal by then. Like, wishful thinking. Abortion rights. Dems will be boosted by the anti-GOP backlash following the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade. Swing voters want Swing voters won't want to give Trump a chance to appoint another Supreme Court justice, as second gentleman Doug Emhoff has put it privately, Dobbs and democracy. Look, on this one, they are correct that there was a big backlash to the right-wing position on abortion. There's no doubt about that. But are you going to rely on that every election from now until the end of time? At some point, at some point, it, people, it's just a new reality, right? And, and the shock has worn off. And so, you know, one of the things that might help people get past this is if they see Biden funding a genocide, which is what he's doing, right? So just to to relax on that seems very misguided to me. Biden and allies will spend more than $1 billion telling voters Trump is terrible. In the end, Biden's inner circle contends most independents won't look themselves in the mirror on election day, then go vote for Trump. Many senior Democrats fear that optimistic catechism shows a failure of imagination about the true chance that Trump could win. Yeah, they're they're definitely underestimating Trump and they're overestimating themselves. And um, look, there was one time where an anti-Trump campaign worked. That was 2020. There was one time where an anti-Trump campaign failed. That was 2016. Could go either way. I don't. I truly don't think Biden understands how much he's despised right now. And also the intangible stuff about him, like how old he is and how he can't complete a sentence. Like that stuff matters to voters. It matters. But people close to the White House fear there aren't enough people willing to give Biden bad news because those who do can get their heads bitten off. As Axios's Alex Thompson has reported, that could help explain the leak about Obama, who remains very supportive of Biden. That's pathetic. So no, nobody's telling Joe Biden the truth because he gets mad. Oh, man. Top Democrats were relieved Friday by Biden's passionate opening speech of 24 in fiery remarks in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, coinciding with the third anniversary of the January 6th storming of the Capitol by Trump supporters. Biden warned democracy is on the ballot. Your freedom is on the ballot. Like, look, that stuff is good. And in that speech, um, Biden compared Trump to Hitler because he's using like direct Hitler quotes. That's all good, but that's not enough, right? That's not enough. Biden name-checked Trump 44 times in the half-hour speech. He drew applause when he needled the former president on his drive to overturn the 2020 results. I had won the election and he was a loser. Some of the Dems we talked to see the speech as the campaign's we-get-it moment. See, now that's... That is naive also. You know? Like, he hasn't been campaigning at all. Now he's campaigning a little bit. And they're like, that's it! Finally, you've said some words! It's like... You're gonna need more than that, man. So look, reading between the lines here, my takeaway is Obama thinks Biden is going to lose. He doesn't fear that he could lose, which is what previous indication indications were. Now it's like, no, I think he's going to lose. And so he's trying to steer the ship from behind the scenes. But look, Biden's a stubborn dude, man. If he hasn't stopped supporting the genocide at this late date, that is one stubborn idiot right there. That is one stubborn idiot. So will he pay the political price? We'll see. There's still a lot of time between now and then. But I think they're far too optimistic and they don't take the threat of Trump seriously enough. So one of the things that uh, I certainly sense in the ether, and I think many others do too, is that we're in a bad place right now. The country's in a very bad place because everything just seems unstable. Everything just seems unstable and feeble and uh, haphazard. And 
I think this poll that just came out sort of verifies that this isn't something just I'm feeling or just you're feeling. This is like a widespread, like people know something's off, right? Ever since, I mean, shit, probably 2016 and on, it's just been like we're holding on for dear life and every year is worse than the last, right? So look at this poll. Many Americans expect election related violence over future losses. Nearly a majority of U.S. adults believe there will be violence regarding future presidential election losses, new polling reveals. Three years out from the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol and only months away from the 2024 presidential election, over two-thirds of Americans feel that democracy is under threat. So here are the specific numbers. 51% of respondents expect the losing side to accept their losses peacefully, so a very slight majority. There's a CBS YouGov poll. But 49% expect violence over those losses. Look, I would love to know what that number was in like 1992, right? Because my guess is it was like 90, 10, 90% were like, of course, there's not going to be violence. 10% said there would be violence. Now we're at, it's basically 50, 50. 70% of respondents believe U.S. democracy is under threat, while 30% feel democracy is secure. So an overwhelming majority, no. Yeah, our democracy is massively under threat. Our democracy is under threat in multiple ways, by the way. The Democratic Party in Florida just canceled the Democratic primary because they want Biden to win. They don't want Dean Phillips or Marion Williamson or Jenkins, where they just canceled the primary. Tennessee Democrats canceled the primary. Um, Massachusetts Democrats canceled the primary. North Carolina Democrats canceled the primary. They just canceled it. Uh, the DNC came out the other day and said, we're just not going to count the New Hampshire votes because we don't want them to go first. And even though being first in their, is in their state constitution... So they have to do it. We're just going to ignore all of their votes and all the, de the democratic will of the voters there. They're, we're just not going to screw them. So in that sense, we are living under a threat to democracy. There is no primary process. There's this talk about like not even having debates, right? As if that should be a thing. If you want to be in the most powerful position in the world and you don't present your case in front of your opponents, the American people, that, that's all threat to democracy. And of course, we had the fake elector scheme, the fraudulent elector scheme. We had... Um, January 6th, we had all this talk about maybe invoking the Insurrection Act or seizing the voting machines from Trump. Now he's refused to sign a pledge that he wouldn't overthrow the government again. And so there's threats everywhere. There's threats to democracy everywhere. 70% of the country agrees that whatever we got going on here is broken. This comes as 39% of respondents do not consider President Biden to be the legitimate winner of the 2020 presidential election per the poll. Let me repeat that. 39% in this poll say Biden is not the legitimate winner of the 2020 presidential election. That's four out of 10. No, he didn't win. There is zero evidence for the idea that he didn't win. Four out of 10, believe it. Yet multiple probes and recounts of the 2020 election votes have disproven claims of widespread election fraud. 78% of respondents disapprove of the actions taken by the people who forced their way into the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. This is the most positive result in this poll, that almost 80% say that January 6th was bad and wrong. That figure included 70% of Republicans, 82% of independents, and 84% of Democrats. So even 70% of Republicans were against January 6th. The percentage of Republicans who strongly disapprove of those actions on January 6th, 32%, has dwindled nearly 20 points since January 2021. That's not good. When that figure stood at 51%, according to the poll. Over a third of respondents described the actions of the people who forced their way into the U.S. Capitol on January 6th as defending freedom. Over a third said they were defending freedom. 
59% of Republicans felt this way as opposed to 28% of independents and 18% of Democrats. Three years since the January 6th riot, over 1,265 people have been charged with crimes related to January 6th, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office for D.C. Okay, so some really interesting findings in this. I guess the silver lining is that still at this late date, people, most Americans are like, yeah, January 6th was stupid and wrong. That's good. But everything else in this scares me. The political violence stuff scares me, that everybody sort of senses something bad is coming. I agree. I don't know how we avoid a bad scenario, right? If Trump wins the primary and wins the general, we get four years of Trump. That's a disaster. If he wins the primary and loses the general, he's just going to say he won. We're right back to January 6th type stuff, right back to election subversion type stuff. If he loses the primary, he won't accept it. He'll say he won the primary. Bodies in the streets, potential riots. You know, if Trump wins, you could have riots in the sense that the left is like, this is unacceptable. And if uh, Trump loses, you could have his people riot. Like everything just feels unstable and unsteady. And clearly, clearly that's reflected in the polls by a majority. So I'm not alone in thinking and you're not alone in thinking it. So Chris Christie has, uh, of course, been running for president in the Republican primary. And he's a little bit of a fish out of water because... You know, his whole campaign is based on, look, I'm a traditional Republican in the sense that I want to cut taxes for the rich. I want to deregulate. I want to do more war. I'm, you know, relatively conservative on social issues. He has all those positions, but he also leans into, I don't like Trump. I hate Trump. Trump tried to steal the election. Trump is a criminal. That's not okay. What are you doing? Why do you idiots support him? This is dumb. Don't do that. And like, as a result of him going after the person with the plurality of support in the Republican Party, maybe majority of support in the Republican Party, his side hates him. So Chris Christie has more supporters among like resistance liberal MSNBC viewers than he does in the Republican Party. Now, having said that, um, New Hampshire, one of the early contests, is likes to fancy themselves very independent thinking state. And he's doing well in the polls in New Hampshire, relatively speaking, maybe in like third or something like that. Um, but look, he's his days are waning here, right? It's going to get to a point where he's probably going to have to drop out. Um, but clearly he's frustrated. Maybe he thought he would have a better chance of breaking through or making a stronger run at it. Um, but he goes on Hugh Hewitt's radio show. Hugh Hewitt is <laughs> the world's worst radio host. He's moderated some of these debates. He asked the dumbest questions you've ever heard. He was like prodding the candidates about like, why isn't our Navy big enough? Gosh, golly. And he like kept pressing on that same question. Terrible. He's just a dumbass. Uh, anyway, he has on Chris Christie, and uh, this is hilarious because Christie sort of snaps at him because and thinks he's really annoying. Watch this. Have you ruled out no labels? I've said that over and over. Yeah, I know, but it's something you said on the View yesterday made me think, huh? Now, that View interview was odd, Governor. Uh, I, I I thought you were kind of hedging your bet there. So at least to this question: If it's Donald Trump, Republican nominee, against Joe Biden, Democratic nominee, who will Chris Christie vote for? Uh, yeah. At this point, I wouldn't vote for either one of them. What would you do? I'd vote down ballot. And, but then you'd abdicate? I, Hugh, Hugh, this is not news. I've been saying this from the beginning. I'm the guy who didn't raise my hand on the stage when they asked me if, I, if you would support him if he was a convicted felon. Yeah, I know, but support... So I, I don't understand how we're in... How, I have to tell you the truth, you. I, you. You have interviewed me probably a hundred times. I've never had a less substantive interview with you in my life. But it's actually the most substantive interview. We're down. We're down to the the quarter stretch. This is is not news, Hugh. I didn't raise my hand in August. If you think you're making news here, then then you're you're not paying attention. The premise of the question in August was: if he was a convicted felon, would you vote for him? I don't think he's going to be a convicted felon. By the way, your opinion. I know, and so I think the what I'm asking is my premise: if he's not a convicted felon, all right. I don't accept your premise. 
Uh, if, oh, come on, Governor, that's you're on redirect here. Uh, if he is the yeah, nominee, and I don't he's accept not, your premise. If he's convicted on appeal, would you vote for him? If he's convicted and on appeal, yeah, he's convicted. I wouldn't vote for him. All right. <laughs> oh, that was so uncomfortable. So look, look at where we're at now. Look at where we're at with the Republican voters and Republican media figures. He's like, well, of course you're going to vote for the guy that has 91 criminal charges, right? Right? And Christie's like, no. Look, to be fair to Christie, it would have been inconceivable. Go go back just to freaking 2015, 2016. Back then, Republicans were saying, if, some, if somebody's a, a presidential candidate or a political candidate and they're just under FBI investigation, Never mind, like not indicted, not convicted, not charged, just under FBI investigation. Oh, they should be kicked off the ballot completely because they are being investigated. Because Hillary was under FBI investigation. They're like, that's it. Done. Over. Law and order. Law and order. We don't, we don't want any stinking criminals running the thing. Now you have a guy who was just found liable of committing fraud in New York. Business fraud, tax fraud, insurance fraud, uh, you know. He's going to have to pay a fine of up to $250 million and he's going to lose his business license in New York. That's who this guy is. They didn't blink. Nobody on the right was like, all right, well, I guess I'm not, I can't support a guy like this. He's clearly a con artist and a fraudster. There was evidence before that he was a fraudster. Look at Trump University. They didn't care. They don't care that time either. The 91 criminal charges, they don't care. He was caught dead to rights with top secret and classified information and storing them in a sketchy way and trying to... Uh, and showing people the information that they shouldn't about nuclear submarines and things of that nature. They don't care. They don't care. They don't care about the fraudulent elector, fake elector plot that was uh, uncovered and in their own words, they said this is an illegal vote counting scheme. They don't care. They don't care. They don't care that Trump acknowledged behind the scenes. Yeah, I know I lost, but then in public, he's like, I won and we're not going to accept the results of the election. They don't care. But it would have been inconceivable if you told Republicans, uh, the people who said, oh, law and order, law and order, back to blue. If you told those people there's going to come a time where you support a candidate who has 91 criminal charges, was already found liable for fraud, and is almost certainly going to be convicted of a felony, they, it would have been inconceivable that they would have supported somebody like that until Trump comes along. And now the framing of the question is like, Christy, you're not going to vote for the guy just because he's got 91 criminal charges and is definitely going to be found guilty and be a convicted felon? Come on, Chris. What's wrong with you? He's framing it as like, well, of course you should vote for him. How could you not? And when Christy's like, I wouldn't vote for either one, he's like, what? What does that mean? It means he's not being a, a fucking cuck. That's what it means. It means he actually at least has principles where he thinks, no, when I say law and order, I mean it. I'm not going to vote for a convicted felon who I think is a literal threat to the country because he refuses to do a peaceful transfer of power. He refused it last time. He's already saying he's going to refuse it this next time as well. So look at where we're at. So I understand why he snapped at him. First of all, it's a dumb question. Second of all, look at your framing. Your framing is like, of course I'm going to vote for the criminal. Duh. God, if the shoe was on the other foot and it was a Democrat who had some criminal investigation or criminal charge or was found uh, guilty or liable in a civil court for fraud, they would never they would never shut up about it. They would hammer them. They would never agree to it. But since it's Trump, they're going to let it slide and they're going to support him even more. Why? Because he triggers the libs. Why? Because they're in a cult. And this is where we are. And now imagine giving Chris Christie credit simply because he has the courage of his convictions, at least to say... I don't think if you're a convicted felon, you should run the country. I, I think if you're a threat to democracy in this country, you shouldn't hold office. I mean, it's such a low bar. And I disagree with Chris Christie on like everything, man. 
He's wrong on taxes. He's wrong on regulations. He's wrong on foreign policy. I can't think of almost a single area where I agree with Chris Christie when it comes to policy. But he's right on the notion, the guy who's refusing to do a peaceful transfer of power, the guy who tried to steal the last election, he shouldn't hold power. And Hugh Hewitt is flabbergasted at this notion. What do you mean? You're not going to turn your brain off and be a partisan hack and just cast a vote for for Trump? I mean, I'm obviously going to vote for the guy with 91 criminal charges who's going to be a convicted felon very soon. What if he's convicted, but he's on appeal? Are you going to bet that he's going to win? Look at this conversation that we're having. Look at this conversation. What a clown. What a clown. So anyway, uh, I wish Chris Christie had this short of a temper in every single interview he's ever done, because at least it's entertaining. All right, guys, that's the show. I love you all very much. You know the drill. Everybody, please subscribe to the channel, like the video, click that bell icon so you get a notification every single time a video drops. If you'd like to, you can support the show on Patreon. That link's below, or you can tip on YouTube. There's a thanks button below as well. I've never had a conversation with an advertiser. You guys help fund this show from the ground up. I deeply, deeply appreciate it. Thank you to everybody who does support this show. It means the world. And that's all I got for you guys, man. I'll talk to all y'all tomorrow.